Good morning, everybody. It's May 28th, the brink of the Memorial Day weekend. I'm here with my friend Ted Chilowitz, the futurist at Viacom. And as you know, I'm Charlie Fink, the author of This Week in XR in Forbes. Ted, good to see you this morning. Good morning, Charlie. I am. Uh, you have a I'm nice on, Las Vegas background. I am on the on road. The that's not a Zoom background. That's actually real uh, Vegas. I'm actually doing. Uh, some uh, development on a on a project that hopefully I'll someday be able to tell all our listeners all about it. As you know, a big part of my life is not traveling around giving speeches, but actually doing things that uh, might show up in the world uh, in some fashion over the next you know ten years. So that's uh, something I'm doing now. Still safe. Well, if it's Vegas, it must be location based entertainment. So. It is, it is uh, very futuristic and very interesting. I can say that for sure. It's great to be you. All right, so um, the news this week is uh, pretty limited. As uh, I just said, it's Memorial Day weekend. I think people are thinking about getting outside again and um, doing things. Yeah. So uh, I would say lots of demand for anything you can do uh, on Memorial Day weekend is what awaits us. But there were two kind of fun uh, and interesting announcements related. One was that Vertwix finally uh, wrapped up its financing. They raised a whopping $19 million, partly through Seed Invest, which allows people who are not accredited investors, like who have over a million dollars, but are people, average people who, you know, make a normal salary and, um, you know, so, uh, you know, people that donate, you know, uh, spending five and $10,000 to invest and getting a discount on the dish that Omni makes. So for those of you who don't know what uh, Virtuix makes, they make this thing called the Omni and the Omni Pro, which is a hard plastic dish about three or four feet long, sort of your shoulder width apart. Uh, and you wear overshoes that have ball bearings. In them. There's a harness that holds you in place. And now you can run and squat and crouch and jump uh, in I've done it a number of times. It's rather like free roam where you don't have any room, right? I, I think people from the minute they get into VR, they say, wait, I've got controllers, not hands. Wait, I've got, you know, a joystick, not legs, right? So it breaks the illusion of being in VR. So especially when you're new, you know, you have this craving to make it more real. And so Virtuix is just one of the companies trying to solve that problem, which sort of you could see how many people immediately jumped in to support them and to say, yeah. yes, let's do this. And they've got uh, a location-based entertainment version uh, that's sort of part of the dollar a minute business. Uh, you know, again, you're in Vegas, location-based capital of the world. Um, so they have these things called the arena. They've been running tournaments there. We've talked about them before. It's an yeah. interesting company. They started out in the home, they pivoted to um, to location-based, and now they've pivoted back to the home. I think they've still got their location. I think the pandemic forced everybody to look, to look inward. The problem with Virtuix, there, there are two problems that I see. One is it's $2,000. Yeah. Because you've got to be a real VR head to want to spend $2,000. Uh, and it's not without friction to hook it up at home. Um, the other problem is, of course, yes, if you're playing a game that involves running or hiding like a military game, uh, I, I think it's terrific, but you get tired and you start to sweat in your headset. And, and actually they have been promoting 
a, um, an exercise application for it. So the question is, is it Peloton that you would use for those kinds of exercise things, or is it a thing for hardcore gamers to increase the verisimilitude of one word? Yeah, I, I don't think it's Peloton yet, but I, but I have an interesting perspective on this, and, and I think you probably do as well. So you and I certainly have our VRC lights, right? We put on headsets many times a week. We're in these mediums a lot, just as much as traditional media, if not more. But I notice in myself, as I get a little bit older every year, apparently that still happens in the real world, even though I'm trying to avoid it in my fantasy VR world, um, my propensity to motion sickness is actually increasing. And certain games that I want to experience and want to play at home, I actually find that I can't do because it's actually making me motion sick. You know, just the, the transportation and, and the joystick navigation is actually a real problem for me and is continuing to be a real problem where at the beginning of this journey was a little less of a problem. So the idea of building smarter locomotion tools that certainly are like a little too exotic right now, a little too clunky right now, but again, give us another, give us that same 10 year curve that we're on to develop these headsets in the right way. The idea of creating locomotion tools is really, really important. And there are multiple companies taking attack at it, right? Virtual, Virtuex is doing it. And um, my friends in Australia, Bizospace have been doing it. And there's a few companies that are Cyber doing shoes. it. Cyber shoes are available doing it. on Amazon for 325 bucks. They give you a chair, they give you a carpet. And, and the, again, kind of overshoes concept. And, and then you run kind of in place. And it does uh, work. It really works. It just, it's still a little clunky and it's still a little, like yeah. it's a little too expensive. It's not quite there yet, but I would say the, the, latency, right the latency on both is not perfect. Um, so, so it takes a little getting used to. It's not terrible, but but you know, you have to be like ninetieth of a second to really not experience any kind of disorientation or dizziness. But I. It's interesting. I'm a teleportation guy. I have no interest in walking in VR. I am completely over it. There is one instance where I think walking is very important, and that's backpack-based free roam VR, or otherwise known as warehouse scale VR, where you're on a theatrical set. Everything on the set is mapped to your uh, computerized experience so that you, when you reach for a doorknob, it's a real doorknob, oh, there, right. Exactly. right? When you're walking along a ledge of a building, you feel the wind. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a theatrical setup in which you sort of go down a path and have this incredible first person experience, but your hands are your hands, your feet are your feet and, and you get around, but it's a very physicalized version of virtual reality. Yeah, it's interesting. You and I are, are on the opposite sides of it. I actually love to get to be on the physical side with VR. I love VR exercise. The things I do most in VR are physical kinetic things, speed savers, supernatural, box VR, VR fit. Um, and I've noticed that a lot of people do that because the Oculus ad campaign is a lot about fitness and, and the fact that- Right. Oh, it's, it's turning into a massive, massive category. But I, but I will note historically, because I'm a big studier of the success of the Nintendo Wii and what happened with the Nintendo Wii is people were physical with it for a while the way it was intended. And the, the minute they realized they could actually sit on their couch and still play tennis and just cheat, everybody just sat on their couch. Yeah, but that's, that's me, I guess. I, the other thing is, look, we're in a magical reality. 
Yeah. It doesn't have to perfectly mimic real reality. So I'm kind of like in a cartoon world already. So why do I have to walk around there? It just has different laws. As long as it's consistent about that, those laws, um, you know, I, I think it's a heightened reality, better reality. And, and that's kind of how I feel about teleporting. And I, like you, I don't love joystick locomotion. You really have to protect yourself against motion sickness when you do it. You can't look down. You have to focus on distant objects. I mean, there are strategies you could take to, to prevent or minimize the effect of motion sickness, but it is not perfect. And I agree, the older I get, it seems the more susceptible or more sensitive to it I am. Although that may also be a function of us spending so much time in VR that, that you know small things are super noticeable to us. Yeah. And, and other people may jump in there and it'd be completely mind-blowing to them. Anyway, two interesting companies. I wish them success. I think this idea of locomotion is something that we're going to be talking about for a long time. People are working on these dishes uh, in addition to haptic gloves, which we didn't touch on. It's sort of the first cousin to locomotion because, again, you want what you touch to feel real. Yeah, these are all part of the, the, the idea of creating not just what we call virtual reality, but actually creating realistic simulations, right? It's all the tenets of the simulation. Um, and and ultimately, it also means photorealistic simulations. Yes. I think the first thing people feel like when they get into VR is like, wait, I'm in a video game, right? right? There is no reality. And so I, I think that, I, I mean, you and I, we get into, I'm in a video game. Holy crap. But, you know, I think a lot of people, normal people get in there like, I don't like video games. What am I doing in a video game? Yeah. That's why when, uh, when I would take people that weren't gamers, one of the first things I would put them in VR is I would take them in Google Earth in VR and watch their brains just explode, exactly. and transport exactly. them around. The, the because world. you can see reality in a different way, right. right? You change relative distance, you change scale. And that's the magic of it. You know, that's why I love teleportation. It's better than walking. Yeah, teleportation <laughs> works. We can, we can be magical superpower beings with superpowers. So, you know, that's what I want. If I'm not going to have photorealism, right? We should have, by the way, we should have called it SR, simulated reality. Mm -hmm. And we would have been so much better off. <laughs> yes, exactly right. Good call. Um, Ivan Sutherland, if I could go back to 1969, I would so much <laughs> like to have that argument with you. Like oh, well. All right. You know, we have two great guests today. Uh, our friends, Kathy Hackle and John Bazell have written a book called The Augmented Workforce. So why don't we bring them on and, uh, and hear some more about that. Sounds great. Our guests today are Kathy Hackle and John Bazell old friends and the author of a new book, The Augmented Workforce. Welcome and congratulations. It is so hard to write a book and almost impossible to write a good one. How did you pull it off? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having us. Um, I would say it took us longer than we thought, uh, Charlie. It definitely took us longer than we thought. Um, you know, and I'll let John kind of tell a little bit more, but you know, yeah, it was, you know, months and months, um, you know, it was moves, new jobs for both of us, um, you know, then COVID, <laughs> right? Um, so yeah, a lot of a lot of different things happened along the way for us to write this book. It, it took us, I think, 18 months, John, something like yeah. that. Uh, well, it's as timely as it would have been um, last year, and it's relevant as it's going to be next year, I think. Um, when did you guys decide, when and why did you guys 
start to work together on this book and, and where did the idea come from? Yeah, um, so as you mentioned, uh, Kathy and I have, have known each other longer than this project. Uh, we met when she was uh, at HTC, uh, you know, working with the Vive team. Uh, we did some marketing projects together uh, in Atlanta at a little innovation studio that I was working at. Uh, and then we stayed in touch, of course, as she went to Magic Leap and, and all of that. But at one point, uh, she asked me to go to this uh, restaurant where robots served pizza. And how could I turn that down, right? And uh, at some point in the meal, she turned to me and said, hey, do you want to write a book? And I said, sure. She said, the title of it is The Augmented Workforce, How AR, AI, and 5G Will Impact Every Dollar You Make. And it kind of like blew my hair back. And I said, okay, yeah, we can do that. We can do that. And I just, I love that she was so firm in, in kind of like the positioning of it and that it would be ROI focused. And so uh, as we sat down to think about what would be in it, it was putting our arms around not only our professional experiences. And for me, that goes back before CD-ROM and like helping people get through all these digital transformations, uh, but also, you know, touching base with everybody out there in the community and saying, hey, what's working for you? What are you struggling with? And this is everything from agricultural and hospitality to transportation, generative design and manufacturing, just the gamut. And we wanted it to be accessible. We wanted it to be plain spoken, something you could hand uh, you know, to your coworker or your aunt, and, and they would just be able to start to understand why you're so passionate about technology. And so that was the, the genesis of the project. It's, it's super fascinating that you guys are taking a tack on this that like folks like Charlie and I know instinctively for such a long time, but I think others aren't really aware of how much historically technology and the human workforce have been sort of meshed together, right? I think the minute that humans, let's go way, way back, right? Realized that they could take tools and increase their productivity, increase their success from a caveman level on to today, we're still kind of on that same journey, right? So you do, do you kind of touch that? That historical perspective in the in the book. I mean, we definitely uh, we try to to defang uh, some of these uh, you know, technologies, the jargon. Uh, we want people to feel comfortable with it so that they can start embracing with embracing it. You know, people by and large they they don't want to swing a hammer; they want a place to sleep. And you know, with the end in mind, that idea that you're going to make things faster or better or stronger or safer. Yeah, I mean, it's part of that process. People have been, like you said, like you said, around the campfire, trying to tell stories better, trying to feed their family in a better way, you know, trying to, you know, get more done in less time at less cost. And this is no different. You know, a lot of people are still dusting themselves off after the last uh, technology transition. Maybe they're still proud that they linked up their website to a CMS or that they got a mobile app that's more than just a vanity piece. Um, but here comes all this other stuff and, and people are vexed, right? Like, do I spend a dollar on AI or do I put it on XR? Do I put it on IoT or do I, you know? And one of the things we try to do is help people understand that this is just a com computer that's like been blown apart, that your storage is in the cloud, that your processing, you know, might come from the cloud as well over 5G, over the mobile edge, and that, you know, AR and uh, VR, that's your new screen. So we do try to help people kind of see the trend line here going back decades and how they can do it this time too. Right. I think that breaks down the fear of the, of, of the unknown, the fear of the new when you actually explain to people, none of this is actually new. This is just the evolution of what we can do with circuitry and silicon, right? And as you, as you mentioned, I talk about it all the time, the evolution of the screen. When you 
take the the sort of like overall concern about these weird things, these contraptions we're putting on our face and teach people that we're just evolving the screen and allowing it to do more than just be a static object with a border around it, you can see the light go off in people's heads. They get it. And then they can apply it to things like the workforce in many ways. And it, it, it um, enables them more, right? It, it, they, were, they reduce their fear and they increase their ingenuity and excitement about it. Absolutely. Can, can you tell us a little more about how the workforce is being augmented? Uh, you know, in what way is it about smartphones? Is it about uh, AR glasses, assisted reality versus, you know, spatial computing? Um, you know, how do, yeah. how do you treat? Yeah. Yeah, what I would say is one of the reasons that we wrote the book was because we were seeing just like everyone else that the narrative tends to be AI replaces all the workers, Terminator, like very dystopian, right? And for, for those of us that worked in technology, we know that it's not true. You know, it's somewhere in between. It's not a utopia either. It's somewhere in the middle. Um, so we wanted to take that instead of that narrative. And, you know, we're not naive. Of course, we know automation will replace workers and there will be job replacement, but it doesn't mean that all jobs are going to go away. So we wanted to kind of, instead of take that narrative, turn it on its head and really think about exactly what Ted was talking about is, we as workers have been using technology for a very long time to augment ourselves, to augment the workforce. It's just a further acceleration. And we view technology as something complementary to the worker, right? That allows the worker to get upskilled faster, to do a job in, in, you know, in, in a much faster way or a job they couldn't do before. Now they can do it thanks to technology. Um, you know, so, so I think that that was kind of the, one of the main reasons that we went with the title was because we want to change the narrative we want our industry and we want people to better understand some of the technologies that we're all working on. John, do you yeah. want to add something to that? Yeah, thank you. Um, about half of the book is examples. You know, there's, there's a quarter of the pages that are helping people understand how we got to here and how to look at these technologies in a way that's not overwhelming or daunting or, you know, exasperating. Uh, and the end is like frameworks and models and how to get started, checklists, that kind of thing. Um, there's a little hopeful uh, bit at the end in the epilogue, um, but the middle, you know, like 140 pages of this 250 page book is examples, seven different um, horizontal uh, market examples, and then, you know, 12 different vertical markets. And in that way, we're giving lots of examples how, for instance, AI is being used with, uh, you know, narrow AI is being used to help recruiters get through resumes, or that, you know, VR is being used to take some of those candidates and assess their, their capabilities. Or you know, generative design you know, in manufacturing, the AI is being used to build better buildings with less concrete that are more green and safer and can, can shed heat better and survive earthquakes better. You know, that in transportation, that you know, photogrammetry and mixed reality is being used to train uh, maintenance workers on the New York City subway that have modern trains but have tracks, oh my God, from the 1930s. Yeah. So we tried to make it a survey or almost a matrix of all this stuff that's going on. And the net is, you know, for Kathy and I is that we're just proud as all get out of all the things that our colleagues in the industry have been able to accomplish. This is no longer waiting for the next, you know, pining away for the next headset. This is like real ROI, like Courtney Harding from Friends with Holograms talking about 18% less turnover when they use soft skills VR training at certain organizations. You know, this is real empiricism. There's 23 pages of footnotes in this book. Um, and so, yeah, we really try to lay it out in a way that's not only useful and empowering, but also kind of convincing to stakeholders that you might approach for a budget or a team. 
This is, and you guys have an augmented reality cover to your book. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I do have to tell you, so the book cover, originally I was go, I was like, let's just do something simple. And then John, who's been reading Wired Magazine for years, and he collects the covers, he loves them. He said, no, we need to do something. So this really is an ode to Wired Magazine covers. Uh, so John, do you want to kind of add a little bit about that? Because we well, had I mean, medium sure. I mean, work on this. So, you know, Wired, for those that, that read it, they know that there has just been outstanding journalism and storytelling in that magazine for decades. It is much more than a magazine to me. For me, it's been a companion on my entire career. Um, but at the same time, there is some like kick-ass graphic design that's part of the Wired story too. And so when we had a chance to design a cover, something that would leap off the shelf uh, almost on its own to people to say, hey, that looks cool. What is that? You know, we wanted this to be accessible and helpful. And I think the cover really does that. Uh, Lorenzo Melito from Media Monks uh, gave us this cover and it just, I think it does what we wanted it to do, which is to, to pay homage to that great work that Wired Magazine did. Yeah, and, and then we had Oscar Cartagena in Chile, um, kind of animated, you know, anim animated with AR. So there's AR and there's also face filters. And, you know, we, we wanted to do something fun with it too. Nice. So. nice. Um, your, go ahead, Dan, sorry. Your passion certainly shows through and, you know, we've known each other through mm -hmm. many pieces of these journeys and it's really exciting to be able to read the book and go through it. And I'll, I'll throw one more piece out before we wrap up because I, I would love to get your comment on it for the, the people that are listening to this, if they wanna go and do a quick search on a hundred years ago, how much of the population was dedicated directly to making food to put on people's tables mm -hmm. around the planet, planet? Now look at a hundred years uh, mm -hmm. today and how few people are directly connected to making food, but how many people are indirectly in that cycle of doing something that generates what needs to be generated to put food on the table. So I'm curious your perspective on that hundred year journey of, because you mentioned at the very beginning of this interview when we talked about what do people really need is a place to sleep and a place to eat, mm -hmm. right? And we're still doing that largely, but we have done something to our population base based on technology. And now we're entering this next phase of visual computing. So maybe as you wrap up, that's a good, a good thing to yeah. drop into people's heads to get them excited about reading the book. Yeah. John, I'm going to give you the last word. Oh, thank you so much, Kathy. Um, no, I love that, that question. And I think one of the things that all of us in the technology community constantly need is perspective. We need to be reminded that not everybody is in this foxhole with us, um, that they're not as close to it as, as we are, and they're not as devoted to it. They just want to talk to mom or they want to like finish their term paper. They want to, you know, document uh, the trip that they took or they want to design a better mousetrap. Um, they don't care about field of view or refresh rate. They don't care about battery life unless it quits in the middle of something they were trying to get done. And so, you know, this is hopefully perspective and kind of reminding people that not everybody is with us on this. You know, human beings have been around for an astonishingly long time as compared to like what we thought how long we've been around. Uh, and yet we've really only been staring at these glowing pieces of glass for a little bit, you know, a few decades or a century if you go back to the early cinema. And so, yeah, the world's changed a lot and it's going to continue changing. Some people feel like it's going to change exponentially. I, I would agree. And uh, in all cases, we get better at doing the drudgery so that it frees up more time for creative pursuits. Humanity has a lot of stuff that we still need to work on and get right. And if you're going to have a metaverse, there's a lot of work to build it. 
How long did it take us to fill the world with cultural experiences and places to go and people to see and roofs over our heads? If we want to have this mirror world that lives over top of that, we've got to have better tools. We've got to have, you know, a better understanding of, of what's right and wrong, how to ethics play. So, yeah, I think that, you know, I think that looking at back at our agrarian beginnings and the efficiencies that we've achieved over the last century, I think it's very hopeful that you can see that we'll continue to build on our, our, our free time and, and find new ways to contribute to each other's time on this planet. So yeah, I mean, thrilled to be with you. Thank you so much for talking to us about the book. It was a pleasure to write it. You were pro profound insights. Thank you, John. Uh, where can people find the book? They can find it. Uh, they can find it on Amazon. It's available for Kindle and also paperback worldwide. Um, and we've gotten great feedback. We're already, you know, bestsellers in a few categories. It's been a really exciting and humbling time, to be honest. So thank you to everyone that supported. Great, 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 quote unquote, seeing you this morning. And I look <laughs> forward to uh, with you guys in the real as uh, start back to normal uh, later this year, and we resume our regular travels to all the great tech conferences. Uh, AWE is coming up in November, so we're going to have to have some kind of yeah. massive hug fest and dinner. Yes. Um, anyway, you guys, uh, I'm going to let you go. Thank you so much for visiting us today. That was a great segment, and um, have a great Memorial Day weekend. Ted, Charlie, thank you so much. You too. Thank you, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.